as much change as there is in the world and, and the acceleration of that change, it's really important that we constantly focus on upskilling and retooling in many cases. There's that circle or cycle of learning that I think is going to be critical for most everybody going forward to be successful. The workforce landscape is rapidly changing, and educators and their institutions need to keep up. Preparing students before they enter the workforce to make our communities and businesses stronger is at the core of getting an education. But we need to understand how to change and adjust so that we can begin to project where things are headed before we even get there. So how do we begin to predict the future? Hi, I'm Salvatrice Kumo, Executive Director of Economic and Workforce Development at Pasadena City College and host of this podcast. And I'm Christina Barsi, producer and co-host of this podcast. And we are starting the conversation about the future of work. We'll explore topics like how education can partner with industry, how to be more equitable, and how to attain one of our highest goals, more internships and PCC students in the workforce. We at Pasadena City College want to lead the charge in closing the gap between what our students are learning and what the demands of the workforce will be once they enter. This is a conversation that impacts all of us. You, the employers, the policymakers, the educational institutions, and the community as a whole. We believe change happens when we work together. And it all starts with having a conversation. I'm Christina Barsi. And I'm Salvatrice Kumo. And this is The Future of Work. Hi, welcome back. This is Christina Barsi, your host for today's episode. And I'm here with a very special guest because he works in the field of aerospace, which to me has a very personal significance as my father was an aerospace engineer who also started out at Boeing, just like our guest. So that said, I'm very happy to welcome Philip June, the Director of Engineering at the SoCal Design Center and Site Director at Boeing Long Beach. Welcome, Philip. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for taking time out of your busy day to join us. No problem. So, Philip, I just want to get into a little more about you first. We are going to do a deeper dive later on the path to a higher level career, how we can look at making things more equitable and things of that nature. But first, can you tell me more about your path that led you to the roles you hold today and and what those fancy titles mean? (laughs) Sure. Well, so I'm not uh, a Californian by by upbringing i grew up on the on the east coast really in the south in georgia and got an undergrad mechanical engineering degree from georgia tech I wanted to be an engineer much of my my life and paid particular attention to math and science and all those stem areas in high school i had the privilege of working for nasa when i was in college uh, doing some really exciting things like training astronauts and and working in mission control well, and then i was i have to stop you right there because that's yeah you just dropped a really interesting bomb <laughs> of information already can you just tell talk to me a little bit about what that was and how you got involved in nasa so early yeah absolutely so georgia tech has the oldest cooperative education program in the country It's much like an internship with the exception being that you have an ongoing uh, relationship with a particular company. So I was fortunate enough to interview and be selected to be uh, what we call a a scientist trainee at Johnson Space Center in, in Houston, Texas. 
And so I did four tours, if you will, or semesters at Johnson Space Center where I got to sit in mission control and work on uh, making sure the space station stayed in the sky where it was supposed to be. I had an opportunity to work in a place called the Space Vehicle Mock-Up Facility, uh, where we trained astronauts on how to find their way around different parts of the space station and the shuttle. And then I was able to dive in a place called the Neutral Buoyancy Laboratory, where we trained astronauts how to do spacewalks. So it's the biggest pool in the world, 40 feet deep, 200 feet uh, long, 100 feet wide. And that was by far, I'd say, especially early on in, in, in my education and my learning was just something that absolutely got me hooked into aerospace. And, and I haven't looked back since. Wow. Yeah. What an inspiring experience that must have been. It's, it's really hard to believe sometimes when I look back on it. I always bring it up because it, it absolutely helps me just stay engaged and motivated and just really pay homage to just the wonderful work that that aerospace, the aerospace industry can, can bring to a life. So it's uh, it's been a real, real privilege. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that because, wow. Okay. I'll stop geeking out. You go ahead with your story. <laughs> it, no, I mean, so that really did set a foundation, not just uh, for my love for aerospace, but also helped me understand the importance of purpose and mission and connecting to something larger uh, than, than myself. And so after working for NASA and graduating from Georgia Tech, I started with the Boeing company in Philadelphia working on helicopter blades, which was a lot of fun, learned a lot on a well-established program. But soon after, I was able to, to move down to South Carolina to work on the 787 Dreamliner program. At the time, it was the most advanced airplane in the world, all composite and Again, just learned a lot about how to build airplanes, the production system, the manufacturing process, and then pretty quickly moved into a leadership role, primarily because like nobody wanted to do the job. And so <laughs> I, I, I leaned forward and, and took on that challenge. And so for the majority of my career, I've been in what I call the people business and not so much on the technical side, but it's always been important and critical for me in my career to have what I call learning agility, which is the ability to uh, be immersed in a situation, learn as quickly as possible, be able to apply that learning and then get out in front of the team so that you can lead from from the front. And so that's been been a real gem, I think, that I picked up in my career, continues to serve me well. but. I had the opportunity after South Carolina, met my wife there, got married. She's also a mechanical engineer, went to Prairie View A&M in, in Texas. And we do a lot of sort of geeking out around the house with, with our great. children. Shout out yeah, to your wife. Fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> no, fantastic. I mean, and she's been a real, a real big supporter of mine. But shortly after getting married, we moved to Italy where I worked with our Italian partners on the 787. Oh, amazing. How long were you in Italy? For three years, approximately, which was just a tremendous cultural experience. Really have a lot of love for for the Italian culture and, and also helped me understand how to work with major suppliers. And as one of the few engineering leaders there, uh, I was able to, to do a little bit of everything 
really, because if there's an engineer that was needed, then then I was able able to do it. Again, learning agility, all about getting down into the details. And, and one thing that I think leaders often misunderstand about their role on the team, it's often about learning from your team as well, because in, in most cases, they're the experts. And so being curious and asking questions, not having hubris around pretending to know everything, that's that's something that I've certainly benefited from, just learning from my team and, and hopefully teaching them a thing or two as well. That's a great exchange. And I, I like that you brought up leadership again. So I'm curious what it is about leadership when you were given that opportunity when others were leaning out that made you want to lean in. A lot of my, I'd say, personal mission and purpose in life is really connected to serving others. And I can't think of a, a better way for me to use my gifts and my talents uh, to serve others beyond leading big teams to accomplish difficult things, especially in the aerospace industry where attention to detail is critical, quality, safety, and integrity are paramount. And so it really, for me, is about waking up every day and figuring out how I can demonstrate care for, for my team members, but also to help them in any way that I can. That is, those are service words. I appreciate that. That's, that's a really nice way to show up in the world every day and to carry that into what you do. Absolutely. And it's really a, a, a wellspring of energy, which is necessary and certainly in, in these times in the, in the company where there's a lot going on. But after, after Italy, I was able to, to repatriate a couple of kids later and came back to the United States to a role in, in Southern California, where I had a number of successive roles and then was promoted into an executive position in which my first job was to be a program manager to convert passenger airplanes to freighter airplanes and had the privilege to lead a team to, to convert the, the very first ever 737-800 to, to a freighter. And so most of that work occurred in China and in Singapore, and so had another opportunity to travel internationally and learn about different cultures. And then pretty quickly got promoted again to, to lead this design center. And so uh, it's been my privilege to be in this role for the last about 14 months and lead a, a cross-functional team that works on everything from a space launch system to all airplane production programs for commercial airplanes and, and also on satellites. So we, we cover a pretty uh, large array of, of products that the Boeing company produces. Wow. Thank you for kind of breaking that down a little bit for us. So just so that I understand and, and any listener who might not know, the SoCal Design Center, is that connected to Boeing or tell me a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So the, the Southern California Design Center is uh, a design center within the Boeing company. We officially reside in the Boeing Commercial Airplanes business unit. But as I just mentioned, we, we do work for the entire enterprise at Boeing. And so it's comprised of roughly 850 engineers globally. We've also got uh, small campuses in Rancho Cucamonga, San Diego, in the UK, in Ireland, and also in Dublin. Wow. Yeah, that's definitely global. Very cool. And so as a site director, I know you talked a little bit about what the project's that you cover there, but what exactly is it that you handle? Sure. So 
One, I'm responsible directly for the strategy of the site to make sure that we are aligning our skills and capabilities with the needs of the company. I'm also a site director, which means that from a, from a safety perspective, I am responsible for the safety of all that are on all the individuals that are on campus. The campus is more than just the SoCal, the, the design center in commercial airplanes. It also includes government employees as well. And so the total campus size is about 2,100. So yeah, that's, that, that has taken up a significant amount of my time, especially <laughs> in light of COVID and, and getting everybody to work remotely. But beyond strategy and beyond the site leader roles and responsibilities, I'm, I'm also responsible for the, the technical integrity of the work that we do. So I spend a, a lot of time with leaders talking through how their teams are performing, helping to clear any roadblocks that may be there and helping to solve some of the, the tougher technical issues. Well, it's a multifaceted job and very important as well, especially when you're dealing with safety. The number one priority. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm going to switch gears just a little bit, but it is connected. To me, you sound like you've moved into a very successful role. I consider you a successful person, but the idea of success can be maybe an esoteric term. It's really relative. So how would you define your success and what do you think is most contributed to it for you? I think you're exactly right. It is an esoteric term and I don't, I don't know that any two people define it the same, but I would say for me, I try and measure my success in terms of, as I mentioned, how, how closely I can stay connected to my purpose. And so being able to help people every day, get the best out of them to lead effectively, to help them solve really challenging things, problems, technical problems, and derive meaning from those things. It's nothing like working with a team to do something difficult uh, that maybe has never been done before or has significant value, uh, not only to the company, but also to the flying public or to the warfighter. These things are, are accomplishments that, that people tend to be pretty proud of and tell their families about and, and help them walk with their chins a, a bit higher. And so that to me is tied directly to how successful I feel that I am. But aside from, you know, the family support that I mentioned earlier, that has been absolutely key to my ability to continue to grow in this company. It's been learning agility, which I've touched on a number of times. Mentorship has also been critical because it, it always helps to have a someone that can help guide you through challenging decisions or just be there as a sounding board for your, your own ideas. And then beyond that, it's really about being courageous, uh, curious, and creative in, in the, any challenges that you might face or opportunities that, that might come along. Thank you for sharing that perspective. And I like the idea of being curious, creative, and what was the third one? Courageous. Courageous. Yes, you got to take some risks. And I think scientists are some of the most creative people on the planet. So all that said... Touching on mentorship a little bit and engineering being such a technical space, when I've talked to my dad in the past about newbie engineers, the thing he always said to me was that they learn most of what they learn on the job and from older senior engineers that have been on the job for, for a bit longer. He says it takes about 10 years to really catch up. But I'm curious what you think. Do, do you feel like when you're looking for talent, is it more about the hard skills or the soft skills 
or something else that you're looking for? Yeah, well, I think in in most cases, your dad's right. It does take a while to be on the job to get the right skill set, especially when, when you think about some of the, the more specific and detailed fields in, in the technical industry and in engineering fields. But I also think that much of uh, what's happened in the past decade and the trends in technology are accelerating individuals' ability to learn. And so uh, one thing I, I really appreciate about what technology has done is it has given us, uh, I think, a never before seen access to, to information. And so uh, while on-job training is is important. I also think that you need a healthy mix of classroom learning as well. And you've got to be able to apply that, obviously, but there's opportunities to apply what you learn in the classroom on the job. There's also an opportunity to bring your work experience to the classroom as you interact with peers and as you continue to grow. So I think there's got to be a, a good mix of both. I tend to think about my development and I encourage others to think about their development in a 70-20-10 sort of model. So 70% of the learning can come from on-the-job training, but 20% should include some classroom learning where they can get some some theoretical fundamentals. And then 10%'s gotta be about talking to others and, and being mentored. So that 70-20-10 model, I found that to be a, a good rule of thumb. I like that. So you're, you're bringing up mentorship. So let's just jump right into that. I know that mentorship is important to you. You've, you've mentioned it a couple of times already and counseling as well, the power of counseling. So I'm going to connect this to community colleges. How do you think a community college with so many students can design and support scalable systems of counseling or mentorship for the benefit of our current or future workforce? And, and I also want to include an equity piece. How can we be mindful of equity within that model as well? Sure. Well, I think first we, we got to be able to understand what uh, particular demographic needs. It's important that we define what the need is, what the problem statement is, for instance. So when we talk about scaling mentoring and counseling programs, I think a good approach would be to, to partner with industry to identify individuals that might be available and interested and passionate about mentorship with access being one of the key issues that community colleges in particular may face. And so just to give you an example of how a program might work, for instance, it's really about how do you connect and close the full cycle of learning? So the state of California, for instance, has a significant number of uh, retired engineers because of the focus on engineering and the epicenter that California has been for for engineering talent over a number of decades now. And so if you think about the willingness and the passion and the experience accumulated by these engineering retirees, well, perhaps a, a partnership program with engineering uh, students at a community college would help not only continue to give those retirees purpose, but it would also provide a great opportunity to learn for, for those community college engineers. But it can't stop there. 
those community college engineers with the benefit of the experience from those retirees should also reach backwards and, and reach down into the high school and middle schools to make sure that they're passing along that knowledge and, and doing their part to bring along the next generation of engineers. And in turn, those middle school and high school students should be doing their part in the elementary school system to, to help develop an interest and an early love of all things STEM and STEAM in, in those kids. So it's really, I think, uh, an opportunity for us to, to really close the learning circle. And, and that provides an opportunity for everybody to, to get something out of it. And now you, you also mentioned around the, the diversity and, and inclusion piece and equity. And again, I think like most things, you got to be able to, to clearly define the problem. So access for mentors is not only the only issue, it's also about knowing what's possible. And in some cases, it's a, it's a lack of, of access to whether it's educational resources or uh, just even knowing what's possible. And so I think that what's important for, for community colleges to do is, is to connect with local government agencies. And to be specific, there's a public agency in Long Beach called Pacific Gateway Workforce Innovation Network uh, that's focused not only on career services, but also youth services and creating equity opportunities for youth that are interested in the 21st century skills. That's really exciting to know. Thank you for, for putting that on our radar. Do you have some experience yourself doing some mentorship for whether it be colleges or high schools? Yeah, absolutely. So I am I'm actually an associate board member for City Year LA that has core members that are in uh, school systems across LA and they're they're focused on being great advocates and resources for the children. And so my role on that associate's board is to, to support what they call the core members and to mentor them. I'm also on a board for a small charter school called the Academy of Media Arts that's based on driving development for students, but using a project-based learning model uh, in which they are focused on building skills for the 21st century. Every chance I get, I speak to STEM days and lots of different organizations, not only as a representative from the Boeing company, but also just as a, as a personal passion of mine. Wow, I love that. Thank you for, for explaining that to us. Regarding mentorship, what do you think is the most important thing about it or for us to know about how it can serve us? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I can speak from personal experience because I've had a number of mentors and, and continue to have a, a number of mentors that are important uh, and influential in my life. And so I'd say the, the benefit comes directly from the the one-on-one -on -one personal exchange, understanding that that individual is just as invested in you as you are in yourself. There's There's only certain things you can learn through storytelling, through being able to bounce ideas off of someone who's gone before you. And it really helps concretize certain ideas in your mind, helps you zig instead of zag, helps you, you know, put things in perspective, think about particular challenges or opportunities from a different perspective. And so 
it's certainly been been evident in my life that that mentoring has not only prevented me from making some mistakes, but also urged me on to take advantage of opportunities uh, when they've come up. So mentoring is absolutely fundamental from my perspective to success. I agree. I think it's one of the most powerful assets if we're you know lucky enough to experience it. So I appreciate your your leaning into mentorship and leveraging that as much as you can to help grow the future of work and inspiring others to follow a path that they're passionate about that maybe they didn't even know they were passionate about yet. So that's great. Curiosity, super important. Yes. So back to community colleges, there's training programs that happen there and upskilling opportunities for employees that might work at companies like Boeing. How do we make that connection better and the awareness around those training programs? How can we be better at at connecting those two things? Well, I think, as I've mentioned before, and, and sort of been a recurring theme in our conversations about partnership, I mentioned Pacific Gateway, but also partnering with, with industry is important so that you can bring to the table the strengths that each uh, respective organization has with the hopes that something better will come of it. So partnership would be the, the first suggestion I'd have. But beyond that, you got to know who to partner with. And so the being specific around understanding what sort of programs you like to build, particularly in industry that is often disrupted rapidly and in which change is accelerating, it's important that community colleges build programs that are driving industry 4.0 type skills. And so what's what's industry 4.0? If you think about the industrial revolution, if you think about the acceleration of the computer age, we're into another industrial revolution, but it is very different than our grandparents' industrial revolution or our great-grandparents' industrial revolution. Programs that are focused on augmented reality and simulation, how to use and harness the power of big data. Autonomous technologies are all around us and quickly consuming much of, of what we do in our lives. Understanding system integration, additive manufacturing, cybersecurity, all of these are, I think, important drivers of change in our time. And so I would, I would suggest that Community colleges really focus on the next set of skills that their their potential students would need to be successful and then look for companies and, and local government agencies to partner with that can help build up those programs. So being intentional, being specific when we make these connections. Absolutely. Make a plan for how to develop curriculum in those areas. Start small and, and then scale quickly once, once you reach some learning objectives. And then one last aspect that I would, I would bring up is this, this notion of, of lifelong learning. With as much change as there is in the world and, and the acceleration of that change, it's really important that we constantly focus on upskilling and retooling in many cases. So again, there's, there's that kind of uh, circle or cycle of, of learning that I think is going to be critical for, for most everybody going forward to be successful. I agree. It's, it's like a living organism because we're in it. The world is going to keep changing and we have to literally keep up and adjust. That's exactly right. 
So that being said, I, I have to bring up the digital divide in, in the conversation of, of how fast we're moving in technology. This year has really shined a, a bigger light. It's always been there, but a, a bigger light, it's become more obvious that there's, there's a gap. There's a digital divide between those who have access and those who do not. So how, what do you think we can do to assure that all students are afforded equal opportunities in the labor market? Yeah, that's a, I'd say a big complex question with, with many parts, but yes. uh, I'll just, I'll focus on, on what I've been reading about during the COVID crisis and focus on uh, some of the areas that I think have been exacerbated by COVID-19, which by the way, I don't think COVID has created new trends in you know, underserved communities uh, or in communities where this digital divide exists, I think it's it's more so exacerbated trends and issues that already existed. So you've got to understand a few of these factors first. And so is it a lack of access to the Internet? Is it a lack of access to tablets or computers? Oftentimes, there are socioeconomic considerations. Is it a lack of stability in the environment in which the individual lives? Or do they have family responsibilities that their peers don't? So you got to understand these factors first, I think, before you can move to solutions. But once you have a clear understanding of the problem, then you can start to look at why these issues exist and, and possible solutions to solve them. So, so fortunately, there are a number of companies across the whole host of industries that understand these challenges and, and are open for a partnership to correct them. My own company, the Boeing Company, continues to partner and provide funds to nonprofits to help support efforts in closing these technology gaps and the digital divide. I know other companies like Sony and Universal are, are doing similar things that are focused on creating more equitable classroom experiences, especially in this virtual uh, world that we're living in now. And so we got to be proactive in finding these sorts of opportunities. But beyond resource availability and, and access, I think we got to be focused, as I mentioned, on training the, the underrepresented uh, communities in next level skills that will prepare them for the future. So not all of these these areas require uh, full four-year degrees. For instance, modeling and simulation are skills that are high in demand and can be gained through a number of online platforms. There's also lots of certifications available online that provide an opportunity for training for skills that are high in demand for, for companies like Microsoft, Apple, and, and Amazon. So I'd say we have to look for demands in the industry uh, and build programs to train individuals to meet those demands. It's great to hear that Boeing and other large companies are investing in nonprofits to help serve the equity gap and other gaps of underserved communities. So it's really great to hear if we if we make the effort and be intentional. So yeah, absolutely. And Christina, just to add one more point, there are actually millions of unfilled technical jobs in the United States, not because of uh, a lack of desire to hire people, but it stems more from not having a, a large enough skill base. And so I think it's it's absolutely a, an imperative for many companies to start thinking more broadly and in more diverse terms if they intend to be competitive 
over the long term. It's just absolutely we're out of time to keep doing things the same way. You're not going to be able to be competitive if you don't start looking beyond some of the traditional demographics that have had these jobs in the past. And I think we're missing out when we don't tap into all the talent. We only tap into some of the talent. That's right. So all that said, what would be one piece of advice that you can give to maybe an aspiring engineer or someone who's listening today that didn't realize that there are technical jobs that they don't need a four-year education for? What, what would you tell them? Well, I mentioned it earlier, just being courageous and curious, especially during these times, there's always opportunity and chaos but remain calm and be kind to those around you. Those things tend to tend to help you think clearly. Perpetual optimism is a force multiplier. It, it tends to be infectious, but also helps you uh, be resilient and persevere. And so, in these in these challenging times, just continue to to remember that these these things won't last forever. And and oftentimes, if we can persevere. Uh, through challenging times, we'll be better on the other side for it. Absolutely. In reality, everything's temporary. Everything's changing. Always. Always. So is there anything that you're working on that you're excited about right now that you would like to share? Yeah, absolutely. So today was a, an important day for for the Boeing company as the uh, 737 MAX is able to, to return to service after 20 long months of being grounded. We had some, some work that we had to do to ensure that the airplane was completely safe. And so we've, we've done that work and I'm really proud of the company and the way that we've handled internally the situation, focused on making sure that this is the, the safest plane to fly. The FAA has done a great job in partnering. And so it's all across the news, couldn't be more proud of, of the work that we've put in. I'm also really excited about the work that we're doing in driving for a more diverse and inclusive culture in our company. We've got some really great work, including a racial equity task force that's been set up, partnering not only with others in the industry, but also with suppliers and, and other agencies to, to do good work around around racial equity and justice. And so it's a, it's a busy but exciting time here at the Boeing Company. Wow. Congratulations on both of those efforts. That's exciting. Absolutely. So how can we connect with you? Where can we find you? Well, you can certainly find me on, on LinkedIn. That's probably the best place. It's like my work Facebook. Certainly you can, you can find me there. Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been such a fun, interesting, and inspiring conversation. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Thank you for listening to the Future of Work podcast. Make sure you're subscribed on your favorite listening platform so you can easily get new episodes every Tuesday. You can reach out to us by clicking on the website link below in the show notes to collaborate, partner, or just chat about all things Future of Work. We'd love to connect with you. All of us here at the Future of Work and Pasadena City College wish you safety and wellness.